0: Welcome back, everyone, to 1001 Greatest Love Stories and the final chapter of Marie by H. Ryder Haggard. Chapter 21, The Innocent Blood. Our story begins. After I had been taken away, it seems that the court summoned Hernan Pereira and Henri Marais to accompany them to a lonely spot at a distance where they thought that their deliberations would not be overheard. In this, however, they were mistaken, having forgotten the fox-like cunning of the hottentot, Hans. Hans had heard me sensed and probably enough feared that he who had also committed the crime of escaping from Dinjan might be called on to share that sentence. Also he wished to know the secret counsel of these boers, whose language, of course, he understood, as well as he did his own. So making a circuit up the hillside, he crept towards them on his belly as a snake creeps, wriggling in and out between the tufts of last year's dead grass, which grew here in plenty, without so much as moving their tops. "'At length he lay still in the center of a bush "'that grew behind a stone not five paces "'from where they were talking, "'whence he listened intently to every word "'that passed their lips. "'This was the substance of their talk, "'that for the reasons I have already mentioned, "'it would be best that I should die at once. "'Sentence,' said the commandant, "'had been passed, and could not be rescinded, "'since even if it were, "'their offense would remain as heavy "'in the eyes of the English authorities. "'But if they took me to their main camp "'to be retried by their great council,' Possibly that sentence might be rescinded, and they be left individually and collectively to atone for what they had done. Also they knew that I was very clever, and might escape in some other way to bring the English, or possibly the Zulus, upon them, since they felt convinced that Dinjan and I were working together for their destruction, and that while I had breath in my body, I should never cease my efforts to be avenged. When it was found that they were all of one mind in this matter, the question arose, what should be done? "'Somebody suggested that I should be shot at once, "'but the commandant pointed out that such a deed, "'worked at night, would look like murder, "'especially as it violated the terms of their verdict. "'Then another suggestion was made, "'that I should be brought out of my house "'just before the dawn on pretense that it was time to ride, "'that then I should be given the opportunity of escape "'and instantly shot down, "'or it might be pretended that I had tried to escape, "'with a like result. "'Who, they urged, was to know in that half-light,' whether I had or had not actually attempted to run for my life, or to threaten their lives, circumstances under which the law said it was justifiable to shoot a prisoner already formally condemned to death. To this black counsel they all agreed, being so terribly afraid of a poor English lad whose existence, although most of them did not know this, was to be taken from him upon false evidence. But then arose another question. By whose hand should the thing be done? Not one of them, it would seem, was anxious to fulfill this bloody office. Indeed, they one and all refused to do so. A proposal was put forward that some of their native servants should be forced to serve as executioners. But when this had been vetoed by the general sense of the court, their counsels came to a deadlock. Then, after a whispered conference, the commandant spoke some dreadful words. "'Hernando Pereira and Henri Marais,' he said, "'it is on your evidence "'that this young man has been condemned. "'We believe that evidence,' But if by one jot or one tittle it is false, then not justice, but a foul murder will have been committed, and his innocent blood will be upon your heads forever. Hernando Pereira and Henri Marais, the court appoints you to be the guards who will bring the prisoner out of his house tomorrow morning, just when the sky begins to lighten. It is from you that he will try to escape, and you will prevent his escape by his death. Then you must join us where we shall be waiting for you, and report to us the execution." When Henri Marais heard this, he exclaimed, "'I swear by God I cannot do it. Is it right or natural that a man should be forced to kill his own son-in-law?' "'You could bear evidence against your own son-in-law, Henri Marais,' answered the stern-faced commandant. "'Why, then, cannot you kill with your rifle one whom you have already helped to kill with your tongue?' "'I will not. I cannot,' said Marais, tearing at his beard. But the commandant only answered coldly, "'You have the orders of the court,' and if you choose to disobey them, we shall begin to believe that you have sworn falsely. Then you and your nephew will also appear before the great council when the Englishman is tried again. Still, it matters nothing to us whether you or Hernando Pereira shall fire the shot. See you to it, as the Jews said to Judas, who had betrayed the innocent Lord. Then he paused and went on, addressing Pereira. Do you also refuse Hernando Pereira? Remember before you answer that if you do refuse, we shall draw our own conclusions. Remember, too, that the evidence which you have given, showing that this wicked Englishman plotted and caused the deaths of our brothers and of our wives and children, which we believe to be true evidence, shall be weighed and investigated word by word before the great council. To give evidence is one thing, and to shoot the traitor and murderer another, said Pereira. Then he added with an oath, or so vowed Hans, Yet why should I? "'who know all this villain's guilt, "'refuse to carry out the sentence of the law on him. "'Have no fear, Commandant. "'The accursed Alan Quatermain shall not succeed "'in his attempt to escape tomorrow before the dawn.' "'So be it,' said the Commandant. "'Now, do all you who have heard these words take note of them?' "'Then Hans, seeing that the council was about to break up, "'and fearing lest he should be caught and killed, "'slipped away by the same road that he had come. "'His thought was to warn me, "'but this he could not do because of the guards.' So he went to the Prinsloo's, and finding the vrouw alone with Marie, who had recovered her mind, told them everything that he had heard. As he said, Marie knelt down and prayed, or thought for a long while, then rose and spoke. "'Tante,' she said to the vrouw, "'one thing is clear, that Alan will be murdered at the dawn. Now if he is hidden away, he may escape.' "'But where and how can we hide him?' asked the Vrau, seeing that the place is guarded.' Tante," said Marie again. "At the back of your house is an old cattle crawl made by Kaffirs, and in that cattle crawl, as I have seen, there are mealy pits where those Kaffirs stored their grain. Now I suggest that we should put my husband into one of those mealy pits and cover it over. There the Boers might not find him, however close they searched. That is a good idea," said the vrouw. "But how in the name of God are we to get Alan out of a guarded house into a mealy pit?" Tante, I have a right to go to my husband's house and there I will go. Afterwards, too, I shall have the right to leave his house before he is taken away. Well, he might leave it in my place, as me, and you and Hans might help him. Then in the morning the boers would come to search the house, and find no one except me. That is all very pretty, answered the vrouw. but do you think, my niece, that those accursed vultures will go away until they've picked Alan's bones? Not they, for too much hangs on it. They will know that he cannot be far off. "'and slink about the place until they found him in his mealy-hole, "'or until he comes out. "'It is blood they are after, thanks to your cousin Hernan, the liar, "'and blood they will have for their own safety's sake. "'Never will they go away from here "'until they see Alan lying dead upon the ground.' "'Now, according to Hans, Marie thought again very deeply. "'Then she answered, "'There is a great risk, Tante, but we must take it. "'Send your husband to chat with those guards, "'and give him a bottle of spirits.' "'I will talk with Hans here and see what can be arranged.' "'So Marie went inside with Hans, as he told me afterwards, "'and asked him if he knew of any medicine "'that made people sleep for a long while without waking. "'He answered, "'Yes, all the colored people had plenty of such medicine. "'Without doubt he could get some from the kaffir "'who dwelt upon the place, "'or if not he could dig the roots of a plant "'that he had seen growing nearby which would serve the purpose. "'So she sent him to procure this stuff. Afterwards, she spoke to the royal prince Lusain.' "'My plan is that Alan should escape from our house disguised as myself. "'But as I know well, he will not run away while he has his senses. "'Seeing that, to do so in his mind would be to confess his guilt. "'I propose to take his senses from him by means of a drugged drink. "'Then I propose that you and Hans should carry him into the shadow of this house, "'and when no one is looking, to the old grain-pit that lies but a few yards away, "'covering the mouth of it with dead grass. "'There he will remain till the boers grew tired of searching for him and ride away.' Or if it should chance that they find him he will be no worse off than he was before We will return with the final chapter of H. Rider Haggard's Marie right after these sponsor messages "'And now, back to our story. "'A good plan enough, Marie, "'though not one that Alan would have anything to do with "'if he kept his wits,' answered the Vrouw, "'seeing that he was always a man for facing things out, "'although so young in years. "'Still we will try to save him in spite of himself "'from the claws of that stink at Pereira, "'whom may God curse, and his tool, your father. "'As you say at the worst, "'no harm will be done even if they find him, "'as probably they will.' "'seeing that they will not leave this place without blood. "'Such, then, was the trick which Marie arranged "'with the Vrouw Prinsloo, "'or rather, I should say, seemed to arrange, "'since she told her nothing of her real mind, "'she who knew that the Vrau was right "'and that for their own sakes, "'as well as because they believed it to be justice, "'the Boers would never leave that place "'until they saw blood running on the grass. "'This was Marie's true and dreadful plan, "'to give her life for mine.' She was sure that once he had slain his victim, Hernan Pereira would not stop to make examination of the corpse. He would ride away, hounded by his guilty conscience, and meanwhile, I could escape. She never thought the thing out in all its details. She was maddened with terror and had no time. She only felt her way from step to step, dimly seeing my deliverance at the end of the journey. Marie told the Vral Prince knew nothing, except that she proposed to drug me if I would not go undrugged then the Vrau must hide me as best she could, in the grain pit or elsewhere, or if I had my senses about me, let me hide myself. Afterwards she, Marie, would face the Boers and tell them to find me if they wanted me. The vrouw answered that she had now thought of a better plan. It was that she should arrange with her husband and son and the Myers, all of whom loved me, that they should rescue me, or if need be, kill or disable Pereira, before he could shoot me. "'Marie replied that this was good "'if it could be done, "'and the Frau went out to fight her husband "'and the other men. "'Presently, however, she returned with a long face, "'saying that the commandant had them all under guard. "'It seemed that it had occurred to him, "'or more probably to Pereira, "'that the Prinslews and the Myers, "'who looked on me as a brother, "'might attempt some rescue, "'or make themselves formidable in other ways. "'Therefore, as a matter of precaution, "'they had been put under arrest "'and their arms taken from them as mine had been.' What the Commandant said, however, was that he took these somewhat high-handed measures in order to be sure that they, the prisoners and the Myers, should be ready on the following morning to ride with him and the prisoner to the main camp, where the great council might wish to interrogate them. One concession, however, the brow had won from the Commandant, who, knowing what was about to happen to me, had not, I suppose, the heart to refuse. It was that my wife and she might visit me and give me food on the stipulation that they both left the house where I was confined "'by ten o'clock that night. "'So it came to this, "'that if anything was to be done, "'these two women and a hottentot must do it, "'since they could hope for no help in their plans. "'Here I should add that the vrouw told Marie "'in Hans' presence that she had thought "'of attacking the commandant as to this matter "'of my proposed shooting by Pereira. "'On reflection, however, "'she refrained for two reasons. first, because she feared lest she might "'only make matters worse and rob me of my sole helpers. "'And secondly for fear lest she should "'bring about the death of Hans.' to whom the story would certainly be traced. As he was the solitary witness to the plot, it seemed to her that he would scarcely be allowed to escape to repeat it far and wide. Especially was this so, as the unexplained death of a hottentot, suspected of treachery like his master, was not a matter that would have been thought worth notice in these rough and bloody times. She may have been right, or she may have been wrong, but in weighing her decision it must always be borne in mind that she was, and until the end remained, "'in utter ignorance of Marie's heroic design "'to go to her death in place of me. "'So the two women and the hottentot "'proceeded to mature the plans which I have outlined. "'One other alternative, however, Hans did suggest. "'It was that they should try to drug the guards "'with some of the medicated drink that was meant for me, "'and that then Marie, I, and he should slip away "'and get down to the river, there to hide in the weeds. "'Thence, perhaps, we might escape to port de "'where lived Englishmen who would protect us.' "'Of course, this idea was hopeless from the first. "'The moonlight was almost as bright as day, "'and the veld quite open for a long way round, "'so that we should certainly have been seen and recaptured, "'which, of course, would have meant instant death. "'Further, as it happened, "'the guards had been warned against touching liquor of any sort "'since it was thought probable "'that an attempt would be made to intoxicate them. "'Still the women determined to try this scheme "'if they could find a chance. "'At least it was a second string to their bow.' Meanwhile, they made their preparations. Hans went away for a little and returned with a supply of a sleep-producing drug. The whether he got this from the kaffirs or gathered it himself, I do not remember, if I ever heard. At any rate, it was boiled up in the water with which they made the coffee that I was to drink, though not in that which Marie proposed to drink with me, the strong taste and black hue of the coffee effectually hiding any flavor or color that there might be in the herb. Also, the vrouw cooked some food which she gave to Hans to carry. First, however, he went to investigate the old mealy pit which was within a few paces of the back door of the Prince Lou's house. He reported that it would do well to hide a man in, especially as tall grass and bushes grew about its mouth. Then the three of them started, and arriving at the door of my house, which was about a hundred yards away, were of course challenged by the sentries. Marie said to them, "'The commandant has given us leave to bring food to my husband, whom you guard within. Pray do not prevent us from entering.' "'No,' "'answered one of them gently enough, "'for he was touched with pity at her plight. "'We have our orders to admit you, "'the vrouw Prinsloo and the native servant. "'Though why three of you should be needed "'to carry food to one man, I don't know. "'I should have thought that at such a time "'he would have preferred to be alone with his wife. "'The Vrau Prinsloo wishes to ask my husband "'certain questions about his property here "'and what is to be done while he and her men "'are away at the main camp for the second trial, "'as I, whose heart is full of sorrow, "'have no head for such things.' "'Also the Hottentot must have orders as to where he is to get a horse to ride with him. "'So pray let us pass, air. "'Very good. It is no affair of ours,' brought Quartermain. "'Stay. I suppose that you have no arms under that long cloak of yours?' "'Search me if you will, air. she answered, opening the cloak, "'whereupon, after a quick glance, he nodded, and bade them enter, saying, "'Mind, you are to come out by ten o'clock. "'You must not pass the night in that house, "'or we shall have the little Englishman oversleeping himself in the morning.' "'Then they entered and found me seated at a table "'preparing notes for my defense "'and setting down the heads of the facts of my relations "'with Pereira, Din and the late Commandant Retief. "'Here I may state that my condition at the time "'was not one of fear, but rather of burning indignation. "'Indeed, I had not the slightest doubt "'but that when my case was retried before the Great Council, "'I should be able to establish my complete innocence "'of the abominable charges that had been brought against me. "'Therefore it came about when Marie suggested "'that I should try to escape,' I begged her almost roughly, not to mention such a thing again. Run away?' I said. "'Why, that would be to confess my own guilt, for only the guilty run away. "'What I want is to have all this business thrashed out and that devil Pereira exposed.' "'But, Alan,' said Marie, "'how if you should never live to have it thrashed out? "'How if you should be shot first? Then she rose, and having looked to see that the shutter-board was fast in the little window-place and the curtain that she had made of sacking drawn over it, "'returned and whispered, "'Hans here has heard a terrible tale. "'Tell it to the boss, Hans.' "'So while Vrau Prinsloo, "'in order to deceive any prying eyes "'if such by chance could see us, "'busied herself with lighting a fire on the hearth "'in the second room on which to warm the food, "'Hans told his story, "'much as it has already been set out. "'I listened to it with growing incredulity. "'The thing seemed to me impossible. "'Either Hans was deceived, "'or lying, the latter probably, "'for well I knew the hot and taut powers "'of imagination.' Or perhaps he was drunk. Indeed, he smelt of liquor, of which I was aware he could carry a great quantity without outward signs of intoxication. I cannot believe it, I said when he had finished, even if Pereira is such a fiend, as is possible. Would Henri Moray, your father, who at any rate has always been a good and God fearing man, consent to work such a crime upon his daughter's husband, though he does dislike him? My father is not what he was, Alan, said Marie. Sometimes I think that his brain is gone. He did not speak like a man whose brain is gone this afternoon, I replied. But let us suppose that this tale is true. What is it that you wish me to do? Alan, I wish you to dress up in my clothes and get away to a hiding place which Hans and the Brow know, leaving me here instead of you. Why, Marie, I said, then you might get yourself shot in my place, always supposing that they mean to shoot me. "'Also I should certainly be caught and killed, "'as they would have a right to kill me "'for trying to escape in disguise. "'That's a mad plan, and I have a better one. Frau Prince go straight to the Commandant "'and tell him all the story. "'Or, if he will not listen to you, "'scream it out at the top of your voice "'so that everyone may hear, "'and then come back and tell us the result. "'Of one thing I am sure, that if you do this, "'even if there was any thought of my being shot tomorrow morning, "'it will be abandoned.' You can refuse to say who told you the tale. Yes, please do that, muttered Hans, else I know one who will be shot. Good, I will go, said the vrouw, and she went, the guards letting her pass after a few words which we could not hear. Half an hour later she returned and called us to open the door. Well, I asked. Well, she said, I have failed, nephew. Except those sentries outside the door, the commandant and all the boars have ridden off. I know not where, taking our people with them. "'That's odd,' I answered. "'But I suppose they thought they had not enough grass for their horses, "'or heaven knows what they thought. "'Stay now. I will do something.' "'And opening the door, I called to the guards, "'honest fellows in their own way, whom I had known in past times. "'Listen, friends,' I said, "'a tale has been brought to me that I am not to be taken to the big camp "'to have my case inquired of by the council, "'but I am to be shot down in cold blood,' when I come out of this house to-morrow morning. "'Is that true?' "'A la makta, Englishman,' answered one of them. "'Do you take us for murderers? "'Our orders are to lead you to the commandant, "'wherever he may appoint. "'So have no fear that we shall shoot you like a kaffir. "'Either you, or they who told you such a story, are mad. "'So I thought, friends,' I answered. "'But where is the commandant, and where are the others? "'The proud Prinsloo here has been to see them, "'and reports that they are all gone.' "'That is very likely,' said the Boer. "'There is a rumour that some of your Zulu brothers "'have come across the Tujila again to hunt us, "'which, if you want to know the truth, "'is why we visited this place. "'Well, the Commandant has taken his men for a ride "'to see if he can meet them by this bright moonlight. "'Pity he could not take you too, "'since you would have known so well where to find them, "'if they are there at all. "'Now please talk no more nonsense to us, "'which it makes us sick to hear, "'and don't think that you can slip away "'because we are only two. "'for you know our roars are loaded with slugs "'and we have orders to use them. "'There,' I said, when I had shut the door, "'now you have heard for yourselves. "'As a thought, there is nothing in this fine story, "'so I hope you are convinced.' "'Neither the vrouw nor Marie made any answer, "'and Hans also held his tongue. "'Yet, as I remembered afterwards, "'I saw a strange glance pass between the two women "'who were not at all convinced, "'and, although I never dreamed of such a thing, had now determined to carry out their own desperate plan. But of this, I repeat, the Vrau and Hans only knew one half. The rest was locked in Marie's loving heart. "'Perhaps you are right, Alan,' said the Vrau, in the tone of one who gives way to an unreasonable child. "'I hope so. And at any rate, you can refuse to come out of the house tomorrow morning until you are quite sure. And now let us eat some supper, for we shall not make matters better by going hungry. Hans, bring the food.' "'So we ate,' or made pretense to eat, and I, being thirsty, drank two cups of the black coffee dashed with spirit to serve as milk. After this I grew strangely sleepy. The last thing I remember was Marie looking at me with her beautiful eyes that were full, ah, so full of tender love, and kissing me again and again upon the lips. I dreamed all sorts of dreams, rather pleasant dreams on the whole. Then I woke up by degrees to find myself in an earthen pit shaped like a bottle, and having the remains of polished sides to it. It made me think of Joseph, who was let down by his brethren into a well in the desert. Now who on earth would have let me down into a well, especially as I had no brethren? Perhaps I was not really in a well. Perhaps this was a nightmare. Or I might be dead. I began to remember that there were certain good reasons why I should be dead. Only, only... "'Why should they have buried me in woman's clothes "'as I seemed to wear? "'And what was that noise that had wakened me? "'It could not be the trump of doom "'unless the tramping of doom went off "'like a double-barreled gun. "'I began to try to climb out of my hole, "'but as it was nine feet deep "'and bottle-shaped, "'which the light flowing in from the neck showed, "'I found this impossible. "'Just as I was giving up the attempt, "'a yellow face appeared in that neck, "'which looked to me like the face of Hans.' and that arm was projected downwards. Jump if you are awake, boss, said a voice. Surely it was the voice of Hans, and I will pull you out. So I jumped and caught the arm above the wrist. Then the owner of the arm pulled desperately, and the end of it was that I succeeded in gripping the edge of the bottle-like hole, and with the help of the arm, in dragging myself out. Now, boss, said Hans, for it was Hans, run, run before the boers catch you. "'What boars?' I asked sleepily. "'And how can I run with these things "'flapping about my legs?' "'Then I looked about me, "'and although the dawn was only just breaking, "'began to recognize my surroundings. "'Surely this was the Prinsloo's house to my right, "'and that, faintly seen through the mist "'about a hundred paces away, "'was Marie's, and my own. "'There seemed to be something going on yonder "'which excited my awakening curiosity. "'I could see figures moving in an unusual manner "'and desired to know what they were doing.' I began to walk towards them, and Hans, for his part, began to try to drag me in an opposite direction, uttering all sorts of gibberish as to the necessity of my running away. But I would not be dragged, indeed, I struck at him until at last, with an exclamation of despair, he let go of me and vanished. So I went on alone. I came to my house, or what I thought resembled it, and there saw a figure lying on its face on the ground some ten or fifteen yards to the right of the doorway and noted abstractedly that it was dressed in my clothes. The Frau Prinzloo, in her absurd night garments, was waddling toward the figure, and a little way off stood Hernan Pereira, apparently in the act of reloading a double-barreled gun. Beyond, staring at him, stood the lantern-faced Henri Marais, pulling at his long beard with one hand and holding a rifle in the other. Behind were two saddled horses in the charge of a raw kaffir, who looked on stupidly. The Frau Prinsley reached the body that lay upon the ground dressed in what resembled my clothes and, bending down her stout shape with an effort, turned it over. She glared into its face and then began to shriek. "'Come here, Henri Moray!" she shrieked. "'Come, see what your beloved nephew has done. You had a daughter who was all your life to you, Henri Moray. Well, come, look at her after your beloved nephew has finished his work with her.' Henri Moray advanced slowly like one who does not understand. He stood over the body on the ground and looked down upon it through the morning mist. Then suddenly he went mad. His broad hat fell from his head. His long hair seemed to stand up. Also his beard grew big and bristled like the feathers of a bird in frosty weather. He turned on Hernan Pereira. You devil! You devil! He shouted, and his voice sounded like the roar of a wild beast. You have murdered my daughter! Because you could not get Marie for yourself! You have murdered her! "'Well, I will pay you back.' "'Without more ado, he lifted his gun "'and fired straight at Haran Pereira, "'who sank slowly to the ground "'and lay there groaning. "'Just then I grew aware "'that horsemen were advancing upon us, "'a great number of horsemen, "'though whence they came at that time "'I did not know. "'One of these I recognized "'even in my half-drunken state, "'for he had impressed himself "'very vividly upon my mind. "'He was the dark-browed commandant "'who had tried and condemned me to death.' He dismounted, and staring at the two figures that lay upon the ground, said in a loud and terrible voice, "'What is this? Who are these men, and why are they shot? Explain Henri Marais.' "'Men!' wailed Henri Marais. "'They are not men. One is a woman, my only child, and the other is a devil, who, being a devil, will not die. See? He will not die. Give me another gun that I may make him die.' The Commandant looked about him wildly, and his eye fell upon the brow Prinsloo. Prince Lou. "'What is chance to your brow?' he asked. "'Only this,' she replied, in a voice of unnatural calm. "'Your murderers, whom you set on in the name of law and justice, have made a mistake. You told them to murder Allan Quatermain for reasons of your own. Well, they have murdered his wife instead.' Now the Commandant struck his hand upon his forehead and groaned, and I, half-awakened at last, ran forward. "'shaking my fists and gibbering. "'Who is that?' asked the commandant. "'Is it a man or a woman?' "'It is a man in woman's clothing. "'It is Alan Quatermain," answered the Vrau, "'whom we drugged and tried to hide from your butchers.' "'God above us!' exclaimed the commandant. "'Is this earth or hell?' "'Then the wounded Pereira raised himself upon one hand. "'I am... I am dying!' he cried. "'My life is bleeding away. "'But before I die... I must speak. All that story I told against the Englishman is false. He never plotted with Din John against the Boers. It was I who plotted with Din John. Although I hated him because he found me out, I did not wish Retief and our people to be killed. But I did wish Allan Quatermain to be killed, because he had won her whom I loved. Though as it happened, all the others were slain, and he alone escaped. Then I came here, I learned that Marie was his wife, yes, his wife, indeed, and grew mad with hate and jealousy. So I bore false witness against him, and you, you fools, you believed me, and ordered me to shoot him who was innocent before God and man. And then things went wrong. The woman tricked me again, for the last time. She dressed herself as the man, and in the dawn light I was deceived. I killed her, her whom I love alone. And now her father, who loved her also, has killed me. By this time I understood all, for my drug brain had awakened at last. I ran to the brute upon the ground, grotesque in my woman's garments all awry. I leaped upon him and stamped out the last of his life. Then, standing over his dead body, I shook my fists and cried, Men, see what you have done. May God pay you back. May God pay you back all you owe her and me. They dismounted, they came round me, they protested, some even wept, and I, I raved at them upon the one side, while the mad Henri Marais raved upon the other, and the Vral Prinsloo, waving her big arms, called down the curse of God and the blood of the innocent upon their heads, and those of their children forever. Then I remembered no more. When I came to myself two weeks afterwards, for I had been very ill and in delirium, I was lying in the house of the Vral Prinsloo alone. "'The Boers had all gone, "'east and west and north and south, "'and the dead were long buried. "'They had taken Henri Marais with them, "'so I was told, "'dragging him away in a bullock cart, "'to which he was tied, "'for he was raving mad. "'Afterwards he became quieter, "'and indeed lived for years, "'walking about and asking all whom he met "'if they could lead him to Marie. "'But enough of him. "'The tale which got about "'was that Pereira had murdered Marie out of jealousy "'and been shot by her father.' but there were so many tragic histories in those days of war and massacre that this particular one was soon quite forgotten, especially as those concerned in it for one reason and another did not talk over much of its details. Nor did I talk of it, since no vengeance could mend my broken heart. They brought me a letter that had been found on Marie's breast, stained with her blood. It read, My husband, Thrice you have saved my life, and now it is my turn to save yours, for there is no other path, It may be that they will kill you afterwards, but if so, I shall be glad to have died first, in order that I may be ready to greet you in the land beyond. I drugged you, Alan. Then I cut off my hair and dressed myself in your clothes. The Vrau Prinsloo, Hans, and I set my garments upon you. They led you out as though you were fainting, and the guards, seeing me, whom they thought was you, standing in the doorway, let them pass without question. What may happen I do not know, for I write this after you are gone. I HOPE, HOWEVER, THAT YOU WILL ESCAPE AND LEAD SOME FULL AND HAPPY LIFE, THOUGH I FEAR THAT ITS BEST MOMENTS WILL ALWAYS BE SHADOWED BY MEMORIES OF ME. FOR I KNOW YOU LOVE ME, HELEN, AND WILL ALWAYS LOVE ME, AS I SHALL ALWAYS LOVE YOU, AND WILL ALWAYS LOVE ME, FOR I KNOW YOU LOVE ME, HELEN, AND WILL ALWAYS LOVE ME, AS I SHALL ALWAYS LOVE YOU. THE LIGHT IS BURNING OUT, LIKE MINE, SO FAREWELL, FAREWELL, FAREWELL. All earthly stories come to an end at last, but at that end we shall meet again. Till then, adieu. Would that I could have done more for you, since to die for one who is loved with body, heart, and soul is but a little thing. Still I have been your wife, Alan, and your wife I shall remain when the world is old. Heaven does not grow old, Alan, and there I shall greet you. The light is dead, but, oh, in my heart, Another light arises. Your Marie. This was her letter. I do not think there is anything more to be said. Such is the history of my first love. Those who read it, if any ever do, will understand why I have never spoken of her before, and do not wish it to be known until I too am dead, and have gone to join, and have gone to join the great soul of Marie Marais. Signed. Alan Quatermain, Thanks for joining us, everyone, for this fantastic story, Marie, by H. Ryder Haggard. Those of you who stayed with us, I know, had to have enjoyed this story. It was the first time for me, and I enjoyed it very, very much. Please do take a moment, if you will, to send us a review for 1,001 Greatest Love Stories. Please do share our show with others. Stay safe, and we'll be back soon.